What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. does a beautiful, vivacious 16-year-old little girl end up dead in a field there in Grand Prairie, Texas? No leads, no clues, just a dead body. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. This is where it all starts. Take a listen. A farmer is driving along a sleepy, desolate country road near Mansfield, Texas, and he sees something behind a barbed wire fence and discovers it's the body of a teenage girl. She was unrecognizable. The girl's face was obliterated. One bullet hole was in her left cheek, another in her forehead. She had also been hit so many times and so hard on the left side of her head that part of the skull above her ear, and this is a pretty tough part of the skull, was completely caved in. Wow. You're hearing our friend John Lindley from CrimeOnline.com with me, an all-star panel to make sense of it. First of all, high-profile lawyer joining me out of L.A., Troy Slayton. You can find him at Troy Slayton. Dr. Michael Donner, Ph.D., psychoanalyst, clinical and forensic psychologist, and author of Tearing the Child Apart. Dr. Kendall Crowns, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner, Travis County, that's Austin, Texas, and lecturer, University of Texas, and of course, Forensic Sciences, Justin Boardman, former Special Victims Unit Detective, West Valley City, author, I Was Wrong, an investigator's battle cry for change within the Special Victims Unit. You can find him at justinboardman.com. But first to Peter Meyer, author of Blind Love, the true story of the Texas cadet murder. Peter, thank you so much for being with us. Describe the area for me where this unidentified 16-year-old girl's body was found. Certainly, uh, Nancy. Nice to be here. Um, It was a a morning out in the middle of what scrub brush and um, uh, sagebrush in in, in in an outskirts of Mansfield, um, Texas, 
uh, an architect named uh, Gary Foster was getting up early in the morning, t- took his pickup to drive to the entry to his driveway and was surveying his the fields, the nearby fields, and he saw what looked like a uh, a, a person uh, in a field, and 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 he. Um, this is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is these are uh, gravel roads for the most part. And uh, and closer inspection, he saw it was a young woman. Trying to Pretty get that nothing. visual image uh, with me, Peter Meyer, the author of Blind Love: True Story of the Texas Cadet Murder, and you can find that on Amazon. Where there are fields, as far as the eye can see, certainly he would have seen it the day before, which tells me. Whatever happened, happened overnight. And you're hearing Peter Meyer describe gravel roads. A lot of people will call it out in the middle of nowhere. I wouldn't since I came from out in the (laughs) middle of nowhere. And it may look like the middle of nowhere to a lot of people. But when you live there and you know the ins and the outs and the cuts, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. But who else would know of this location? Who would be so daring to leave a body out in an open field. And also straight to you, Dr. Kendall Crowns, uh, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner, Travis County, that's Austin. Did you hear the way the injury was described? Shot in the head, I believe they said on the side of the head, which sounds like execution style, but then beaten horribly. So a very tough part of the skull was actually caved in. She, she was murdered two times over. Uh, yes, it sounds like she was beaten with something and then shot in the head or shot in the head and then beaten with something to obscure her identity. I'm just thinking about what you just said to obscure her identity. Well, you know what? You're right. Dr. Kendall Crowns, because that's exactly what it did. Take a listen to our friend Jackie Howard, Crime Online. Detectives found no sign of struggle at the crime scene, nor were there any marks on her hands or legs that would show she had been restrained. In fact, the investigation was filled with no's. No indication that someone had broken into her house. No evidence of a sexual assault. What police did find was a pretty young girl shot in the face. For investigators, the death was more like an execution, the result of rage. To Dr. Michael B. Donner, Ph.D., clinical forensic psychologist and author. Dr. Donner, again, thank you for being with us. By the way, you can find him at michaelbdonner.com. Why would someone immediately assume that this murder was one of rage? Well, it sounds like the sort of thing that happens when somebody loses complete control of themselves. It's it's not just one injury, it's multiple injuries, and uh, that seems like it could only come as a result of anger and rage. And is it correct, back to you, Peter Meyer, author, that she was fully clothed and there was no indication of a sex attack? Correct. Correct. Hmm. To Justin Boardman, former Special Victims Unit detective, West Valley City, and author, you can find him at justinboardman.com. Justin, when you come on the scene as the detective, Special Victims Unit, and you see a big open field, now see, there's a big difference right there because you've got, as opposed to in an apartment or a house, you can get fingerprints, you can get blood spatter, you can get drag marks across the carpet, you can get all sorts of evidence. But in a field, for Pete's sake, what do you do? Wow, I start um, securing to make sure 
nobody has um, been walking through and then the crime scene. And then I start um, getting processing and brainstorming with other people on where there might be evidence before we get into the scene too far. Um, we wouldn't have gone right in because she was already um, deceased and it was obvious. So we would actually do some of the same sort of thoughts that you were just talking about, um, looking for drag marks, looking for tire tracks, um, and retracing um, the, the evidence that was there that people had dragged in um, before our arrival, meaning Justin, the person who found her. Yes. Immediate question. I know you heard Peter Meyer say that these were gravel roads between fields. Um, having grown up on a red dirt road, I wonder, can you actually get a tire mark <laughs> off a gravel road? Because I don't see how you could. Right. Right. And um, maybe not, but maybe there is a berm off the side of the road ah. um, that the vehicle may have gone into. Yes. Or something like that. You're absolutely right. And I guess at some point the perp would have had to turn off asphalt it can't be you know all all gravel roads and, and another thing what well you know when this happened i don't know that they could get any dna off her body but fibers and of course you know justin borman the very first case where fiber evidence was accepted was in the atlanta serial killing of multiple young boys across the city, fiber evidence leads cops back to the car trunk and the home of the perp. That fiber found on the body. So that's one clue, tire tracks. You're not going to find fingerprints. Yeah. You know, with a gunshot wound and a beating, you're not probably not going to find the, defen the defendant's blood. So at first... Cops are stymied. What is a 16-year-old girl's body doing out in the middle of a field shot in the face? Well, it took a minute, but it happened. She was identified. Take a listen to this. Adrienne Jones was the all-American girl next door. She was blonde, smart, and athletic. She took advanced honors courses and played soccer. But after a knee injury, she decided to join the girls' cross-country team to get in better shape. She excelled at the two-mile run. Jones also had a job. She worked 20 hours a week at Golden Fried Chicken, a local fast food restaurant. She manned the drive through window. Wow. That sounds like so many people I grew up with working at school all day, trying to make the best grades, trying to do after-school activities, and holding down a job here at Golden Fried Chicken, a local fast food restaurant, manning the drive through I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. 
Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen Nicotine Pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zen.com. That's zyn.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, it, it, I'm, I'm suspicious, I'm curious. Dr. Kendall Crowns, when you have a body like this, if you want to do a DNA comparison to find out who it is, you have to have an idea of who it is to get the known. Say, let's just pretend I think that it's, um, let's just pick out Troy Slayton to be the dead body. I think it's Troy Slayton. So I go get his toothbrush at home and get a warrant and get his toothbrush. Then I compare DNA from the dead body to the DNA from the toothbrush. Bam, it's Troy Slayton. But when you don't have a known Troy Slayton, you don't know who to compare it to, you can't make a DNA analysis. Same thing for dental records, Dr. Kendall Crowns. You have to have an idea who it may be to get that known identity dental records. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, most methods of identification have to have a presumptive idea of who the individual is. The only one is, that you can do is fingerprints and then hope that they're in the system. That's the only time I've ever hoped somebody's a convicted felon. So their fingerprints will be in the system, Dr. Crowns. Well, in Texas, also, anybody that gets a driver's license gets a thumbprint. So uh, they can often be identified quite readily that way. But that isn't the case in the U- rest of the U.S. So. When you have an individual who isn't identified and you have no idea who they are, there isn't a lot that can be Mm -hmm. done. And you just have to hope that someone comes forward, you know, saying that they're missing an individual and then you can do the testing and try and find out if it's them. But otherwise, they can remain unidentified for a very long time. And they do. There are literally tens of thousands of unidentified Jane Does and John Does waiting to be ID'd across our country right now to Peter Meyer, author of Blind Love, True Story of Texas Cadet Murder. Peter Meyer, in this case, how did detectives finally figure out this was 16-year-old American girl next door, Adrian Jones? Well, uh, because she was the American girl next door uh, and came from a nice tight-knit family um, in Grand Prairie, um, she was she was missing, and that's how that's how they they put the family put the word out. Adrian Jones, their daughter is missing, and so it didn't take long for them to uh, make the connection. Put, uh, I, I can't remember how many days, but it wasn't it wasn't too long before the mm. the, the dead body was identified by the, the kinds of ten the tests you talked about. But they had a name, so so it went quickly after that. Take a listen to our friends at Crime Online. Just before bed, Adrian Jones received a phone call. It's around 10 p.m. Her mother, Linda, has some quick words for her 16-year-old daughter as she told American Justice. She walked down the hallway and she came back and I said, you get that phone put down and you get to bed, little girl. 
and and then after that, I went to bed. And she'd said it was David from Cross Country, and he's upset. Linda Jones didn't recall hearing about a boy named David before, but didn't think anything about it. After the phone call, the two went to bed. So how many times has a 16-year-old girl been told to get off the phone and go to bed? I have to tell two 13-year-olds that every night. They're playing Candy Crush or whatever it is they're playing online. And in the dark, I can see the light from their phones, so I know that it's still on. I'm just imagining Adrian Jones's mom telling her, okay, get off the phone, go to bed. She's on the phone with her boyfriend, and she does. She gets off the phone, and they go to bed. Take a listen to this. The next morning, Adrian's brother, Justin, looks in on his sister. Then he knocks on his mom, Linda's door. Justin knocked on my door and said, well, mom, where's Adrian? I said, what do you mean? She's at school. She says, well, her stuff's still here. And so I, that was around seven. So I went and checked and her things were still there. And I said, what's going on? As Linda Jones tells American Justice, she calls to school and is told that Adrian didn't show up that day. Linda Jones calls her husband. And at noon, I knew something was really, really, really wrong. And, uh... I called my husband up and I said, Adrian's not here. We can't find her anywhere. She's not at school. She's not at her friends. We called everybody in our address book looking for him. The Davids especially. I was looking at every David in her address book. After calling Adrian's friends and their parents, the Joneses report their daughter missing to police. So she's reported missing and then wisely the investigators make the connection listen. It's not long after Adrian Jones is reported missing that investigators were able to match their Jane Doe found in the field with this missing girl. My husband had to go with the detectives and identify her body. And I called all my family and, and I can still hear their voices saying, no, you're wrong. And uh, it, was, it was the truth. She had been shot and murdered by somebody. No one could figure out why. Jones had indeed been shot and murdered. The girl's face was nearly unrecognizable. One bullet hole in her left cheek, another in her forehead. She had been hit so hard on the left side of her head that part of the skull just above her ear was crushed. She's been shot in the face and bludgeoned in the back of her head. And you don't know why. What did this young 16-year-old little girl know or do? Because she didn't hate her that much. To Troy Slayton, L.A. criminal defense attorney, no stranger to a courtroom. Uh, Troy Slayton, thank you for being with us. Why is it detectives will first start in a murder investigation with those closest to the victim? Well, that's simple, Nancy. It's because those closest to the victim are usually the ones involved in a murder or uh, other nefarious activities. And uh, in this case, um, that's exactly what happened. And so the police were right to start to talk to the people uh, on the track team, the people that were closest to uh, her at school, her friends, her associates. And her family. Straight out to you, Dr. Michael B. Donner. Of course, that's just a statistic that typically the perp is in the family or it is a close associate, a neighbor, a boyfriend, an ex. But statistics are not allowed in court. None of that could come in as proof that X did the deed. Question to you. 
Dr. Donner, on a psychological level, why do you always look at those closest to the victim? You know, not to be too much of a cliche, but you always hurt the one you love. That's where passions are most inflamed. That's where people's emotional uh, structure starts to break down. It's part of the explanation for so much domestic violence. Intimacy breeds contempt. Intimacy breaks down the barriers of normal society and the structures that we use to contain our emotions. So the closer you feel, the more powerful the emotions you feel, the more out of control things can get. To Dr. Kendall Crowns, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner, Travis County, Texas, that's Austin. Dr. Kendall Crowns, we're hearing of two gunshot wounds, one to the cheek, one to the side of the head, and multiple daunting blows to the head. If I had to analyze it, I would say the bullets were first, the first one to the cheek, that didn't work, then a shot to the head, then the beating. Now, there's really no way to prove that, is there? No, there is not. Uh, uh, The only way you could say that the beating occurred after the gunshot wounds is if the uh, injuries appeared bloodless as if the individual had been dead mm-hmm. for a while, heart wasn't beating, and then they crushed their head. So that would be the only way to know that uh, the gunshot wounds occurred later, or potentially the other way around. The head could have been caved in because they bludgeoned them to death, and then they shot him afterwards. And then I'm the rethinking my scenario, Dr. Krause. Uh, thinking it through, I think that they would have beaten her, then shot her, because in every other case I know of, for instance, let's just talk about the Jody Arias case. She stabbed victim Travis Alexander 27 to 29 times, then shot him in the head. It's almost as if the gunshot wounds are a dramatic uh, coup de grace at the end of the murder. Right. It's a way of making sure they're dead. You just shoot them in the head. Uh, they might not be breathing or moving, but that way you're guaranteeing that you've killed them. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zinn, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zinn nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zinn pairs well with you your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience, which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zinn. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. 
Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, wisely, investigators start with those closest to 16-year-old Adrian, starting with her family. Take a listen to investigative reporter Lee Egan. When Adrian couldn't be found, her parents remember the call from the night before and started asking, who's David? He wasn't listed in her personal phone book. Linda Jones called Leanne Burke, the cross-country coach at Mansfield High, and came up with the name David Graham. Graham was a senior cross-country athlete. He was a battalion commander at the school's junior ROTC program. Detectives interviewed David, but quickly ruled him out. Wow, he's got a lot going on. Junior ROTC, cross-country athlete, battalion commander. But what more do we know about David Graham? Listen. After seeing his first air show, seven-year-old David Graham told his father he wanted to become an Air Force pilot. He never wavered from his dream. Graham kept his grades up and joined Manfield High School's ROTC program and the track team. He was a National Merit Committed student and had garnered the support of Congressman Martin Frost for his application to the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Wow. Straight out to Peter Meyer, author of Blind Love, True Story of the Texas Cadet and Murder. Peter Meyer, this David Graham sounds like the perfect package. Did you hear all that? Sure did. Honor student, had a congressman helping him get into the Air Force Academy, got into the Air Force Academy. That's not easy. And since age seven years old, he knows he wants to be an Air Force pilot. Exactly. He's the perfect, he's the perfect, perfect kid. And it's one reason why, uh, uh, as your uh, narrator just said, he was interviewed. Uh, he was on the cross-country team with Adrian, uh, but it never went farther than that because, uh, after all, there was no, uh, no evidence, per se. Uh, they, so uh, quickly, they, the, the case turned fairly quickly uh, cold. But um, um, Did you say he was a cadet, they, a cadet candidate for the Air Force Academy, correct? That's right. Yeah, and you certainly don't want to smear his reputation. Uh, But there's another problem. Why is he on the phone at 10 o'clock at night with a 16-year-old little girl when he's already got a girlfriend? Listen. Diane Zamora was a high school senior in the nearby town of Crowley. She was smart and determined to get into one of the U.S. military academies. She was a member of a student council, the Key Club, National Honor Society, and the Masters of the Universe, a science organization. She played flute the marching band and ran on her high school's cross-country team. And she was also David Graham's girlfriend. ruh I smell a mess of trouble cooking right now. Here you got David Graham, superstar, cadet candidate, Air Force Com- uh, Academy. Then you've got Diane Zamora, high school senior nearby, next town over, headed to the U.S. military. No, no, she was headed to the Naval Academy. Student Council, Key Club, National Honor Society. Good gravy. She plays the flute in the marching band on the high school cross-country team. And here's the important part. Also, David Graham's girlfriend. Now, let me understand something. Peter Meyer, author of Blind Love. These are, they're all very young. Adrian is just 16 years old. David Graham is just 17 at the time or 18, as is Diane Samora. This sounds like puppy love. Well, it does, it should sound like puppy love, but you've just read this. You've just read the credentials of these kids. 
um, that they're bound for the academy. Um, these are not um, your regular high school uh, kids. Um, they're very, they're exceptionally driven. Uh, they met at the Civil Air Patrol um, uh, unit, which David was a member mm -hmm. of. You, you already talked about his love of flying from age seven. And for, for uh, 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 Diane, she ended up there too because she was driven to do, get as many pieces to her resume as she could. So well, it's hard to there. imagine 16 and 17 year old, as I think kids, working on their quote, resume. Uh, but uh -huh. about their relationship, take a listen to our cut 10, our friends at Crime Online. David Graham and Diane Zamora met when their parents began dropping them off at a small airfield south of Fort Worth for weekly meetings of the Civil Air Patrol. That's an Air Force auxiliary organization that teaches the basics of the military life and leads search and rescue missions for downed aircraft. But there was no romance between them. Diane was driven, wanting to focus on her studies and plans to become an astronaut. She kept a spiral notebook with the list of achievements she needed to get a college scholarship and kept an eye on her grades and always knew her GPA. She also told family and friends she did not want to have sex until she was married. She wanted to make sure that a pregnancy didn't derail her dreams. At the beginning of her senior year, Zamora tells family she has fallen for David Graham. Wow, it seems like the perfect couple. So where does 16-year-old Adrian Jones fit into that scenario? You know, I, I want to go out to Dr. Michael B. Donner, psychoanalyst, joining us. That's a lot of pressure to put on children, teens that young. Here you've got Diane Zamora, as she was just described, driven, who actually keeps a spiral notebook of her achievements and at any given moment knows her exact GPA because she wants to get into the Naval Academy and become an astronaut. David Graham, I mean, his CV, I guess if you have a CV at that young age, is spectacular. I mean, that, that seems like too much on a teen. Well, not only that, uh, Nancy, but they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves. They're driven. They know what they want. They go after it. They're organized. They plan for things. They've, they're willing to sacrifice a lot to get what they want. You know, I want to go to Peter Meyer, author of Blind Love. So, Peter, let me understand this. David Graham and Diane Zamora are both incredibly driven, once at the Naval Academy, once at the Air Force Academy. They're in love. They're engaged. They plan to get married. So how does he end up connecting with 16-year-old Adrian Jones? Uh, it was just a, they rode the bus. Cross-country team was the connection. I mean, they both went to the same high school, but Adrian was a year behind David. Uh, but on the cross-country team, you have these classes Merging, and when you go to a cross country meet, you take a bus. So they coming back from a cross country meet in the bus, and you know it was one of those little perfectly uh, normal thing in these uh, this day and age. They David gave her a ride home, and then the next thing you know, um, they had a, a, a one night stand. I think and you know, that was it. It's hard to think of Justin Boardman, a little sixteen year old girl. Uh, having a so-called one-night stand. She uh, runs track at school. She works at the 
chicken joint part-time to make money. I don't know. I think it's a little harsh to say a teen girl like this has a, quote, one-night stand. Isn't that being really judgmental on a young girl? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I Absolutely. That's why I apologize for that language. If, if, oh, you know what? Uh, we all say it, Peter. We yeah. all say it. I don't yeah, think anybody totally. means any I, ill will. By I mean, I think that's really what it was. Yeah. I think that this guy seduced a 16-year-old yeah. girl, and they had sex one right. time. I mean, technically, right. it is a one-night stand, but something about yeah. just saying that about this little girl, she's just so innocent and good it just doesn't seem but right Justin. Run high in teenagers well you know the, uh, the, the adolescents are uh they fall in love they their their bodies have changed you know that's we, we think about it a little differently the one night stand for the adult but for teenagers yeah. is romance and love I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Long story short, the two meet, and they do, in fact, have sex. Take a listen to our cut 11. About a month after they started dating, Diane tells her parents that she and David are engaged with plans to get married after they both graduate from military academies. But David has a secret. He cheated on Diane with Adrian Jones, a fellow track team member. It was a one-night stand. Ultimately, he confesses, and Diane feels betrayed. He says Diane then gave him an ultimatum, kill Adrian. Dear Lord in heaven, first of all, Peter Meyer, you're the author. You literally wrote the book, Blind Love. Why in the world did he confess? What, to get it off his chest and make Diane Zamora feel terrible? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I really don't. I mean, he, David. Okay, let me just ask the whole panel yeah, a question. Ahead. 
Did anybody ever read Dear Abby? I mean, I read Dear Abby growing up, and this is what Dear Abby says. Dear Abby said, every time somebody writes in, he goes, oh, my best friend's husband's having an affair. Should I tell her? No, don't tell her. It's none of your business. Um, or a woman writes in, I had an affair. It's over. I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my husband. Should I tell him? Abby said, no, don't tell him. It makes you feel better to relieve your conscience and your guilt. It ruins a marriage and it will ruin his thought of you forever. Just don't do it again for Pete's sake. Why in the world? What is it, Dr. Donner? Why do people feel they have to unload everything on their loved one? What is it? It makes well, them feel better to purge and it makes the loved one feel terrible? That's it. Do you and feel that bad? Just Abby don't says, do it again. I hear Abby every day. <laughs> it's, it's a relief. You can get it. You can, you know, unload your own sense of shame and guilt and share it with someone else and beg for forgiveness and say, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. But it is selfish. People do it all the time. But it is selfish, and you know it shifts what? the pain to someone else. Now, the one thing I do not like, among many things, is anybody to start preaching at me. But it's my understanding that when you ask for forgiveness, you're supposed to not only ask for forgiveness, but change your ways. Otherwise, your request for forgiveness isn't worth a hill of beans. So, Sometimes it's just a way of hurting somebody another yes. time. So if you really want to make amends to the one you love, accept what you've done wrong. Feel bad about it. You should feel bad about it. And, and then don't do right. it again. Now, that's coming yes, from me, I, I, a J.D. I point with out that, that no David, psychological David, background. David came from a broken home. What? I'm sorry. So David, David, his parents were divorced. He was a kind of a loner. So among, he, he worked on his, what was a kind of uh, 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 passiveness. Mm. And he worked very hard to overcome that passiveness. Pardon me, Dr. Donner, I'm probably stepping out of my territory here. But, and, and, and so we haven't even talked about the guns and the military um, propensities that come along with that. So there was... There was a lot, but there was a lot of this business of taking orders, David, and being a bit passive, um, uh, and thus runs this, into Diane Zamora and her spiral notebook, and, yeah. and this ultimatum: kill her yeah. or lose me. Okay, what is that, Doctor Michael Donner? Kill her or lose me? That's easy. <laughs> bye bye. You know, not everybody uh, really thinks about other people as, as being completely human. They're, they're objects for their own personal gratification. They're objects that get in their way. That they're objects that help them, but, they're, but there's no real empathy. Now, I don't know Diane Zamora, so I can't speak about her specifically. You know enough. But that's the kind of person that we run into where they just don't care about other people. So Troy Slate, let me understand something. You're a veteran criminal defense attorney. I bet you would have a field day with this if you were representing David Graham. She told me to do it or she'd break up. How's that coercion? Well, it depends. Uh, but, you know, they say hell hath no fury. Oh, here we go like with the cliches. Scorned. And uh, here, 
you know, uh, I can so see often, you prancing that banner around the courtroom till the cows come home. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, I wonder who beat her skull in and pulled the trigger. You think Zamora did all that on her own? Well, it was Graham who said that it was Zamora who took a dumbbell and smashed it into um, Adrian's head. And as she stumbled out of the car, um, it was Graham who who pulled the trigger. And well, isn't it true, uh, Troy Slayton, that uh, for coercion to work, in other words, they made me do it. You have to be under threat of death or a third party has to be under threat of death. Yes, you have to have what a reasonable person would believe to be fear of imminent uh, mortal danger to yourself. So or basically, others. Diane Zamora was holding herself hostage. If you don't murder 16 year old all American girl scrubbed in sunshine that you seduced one time, if you don't kill her, I'm going to commit suicide or leave you. So she's basically holding herself hostage. Uh, as ridiculous as that sounds, take a listen to this. Our cut 12. David Graham tells police he called Adrian and said he wanted to see her. He picked her up in a Mazda protege owned by Diane's parents with Zamora hiding in the hatchback. Adrian reclined the passenger seat. According to David, while he held Adrian, Diane hit her in the head with a dumbbell, but she didn't die. Adrian managed to crawl through the window and ran off. David says he grabbed a gun and followed. When Adrian fell, Graham pulled the trigger. Hiding in the hatchback. This reeks of premeditation to Justin Boardman, former Special Victims Unit detective. You can find him at justinboardman.com. They plan this whole thing out, and their victim, a 16 year old little girl. Absolutely, they did. Um, and I think gathering some of this evidence before when we were talking, um, I would also be taking a look at some of the grooming. A one-night stand like that just does not usually happen just um, just on out of the blue. Home. Yeah. So you think he was cajoling her, or as you say, grooming her before that occurred? Absolutely. And I think um, that would be something to take a look at. They probably did. Um, I don't have the information on that. Um, but I'm sorry, you were saying. Well. I'm thinking about how they lured her into the car while Diane Zamora throws caution to the wind, hides in the hatchback of the vehicle, and her boyfriend, David, her fiancé, David Graham, lures the 16-year-old to the car all in order to kill her. And guess what? They came that close to getting away with it. Remember, no sex attack, no DNA, no fingerprints, no tire tracks. But you know what? The Constitution protects you from statements you make without a warrant to police. But it doesn't protect you from yourself. Listen to our Cut 13. The distance between Zamora and Graham grew as they pursued their military careers until one night when Zamora had a late-night gab fest with her two roommates, Mandy Gotch and Jennifer McKierney. One of the girls mentioned that Diane and David seemed so in love that they would do anything for each other, even kill. Diane paused and said, we have. 
The roommates were skeptical at first, but the next day told the Navy chaplain about the conversation. The chaplain contacted a Navy attorney who then began calling police departments in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to ask if they had an unsolved murder of a teenage girl. On August 29th, he contacted the Grand Prairie Police Department. The next morning, detectives were on a flight to Annapolis. Can you imagine that moment? All these girls in their PJs having a gab fest in their dorm room. Man, you guys are so in love. I bet you kill for each other. Then Zamora, in her dramatic manner, says, We did. And the case busts wide open. You know what? Why would you blurt out a secret like that to your dormies? Well, listen to this. He said, look, look what you made me do. Did you make him do that, Diane? <laughs> no. I asked him to, I asked him to let me meet her. Did you ever ask him to kill Adrian Jones for you? No. Oh, dear Lord in heaven, the crying and the snotting and the no, no, no. Troy Slagan, she can try out, cry out she wants to right now, but the law is. You may immediately regret the deed, but what matters is the intent at the time of the act. You want to tell me she didn't mean to kill when she's hiding in the hatchback, driving with her lover out there with a loaded gun to, to get the 16-year-old girl in the car? It's too late for all that snotting in front of a jury. It would appear to be, and a skilled prosecutor like you, Nancy, Please. would would be uh, arguing all these special circumstances. Uh, in this case, she was lying in wait. There was premeditation, uh, and she clearly showed a uh, an indifference, a depraved indifference to human life. And so, uh, if if I was a prosecutor in this case and took off my defense attorney hat, uh, I'd be seeking I'd be seeking the death penalty if it was available. Guys. More testimony. Listen. She said, um, this is a girl they had sex with and that they had planned her murder. Okay, and how had they planned her murder? At first, they were planning to snap her neck and drop the body in the lake, but it didn't go as planned. Hmm. Snap her neck and drop a body in the lake. You're hearing Samora's former best friend testifying at court. That was Christina Mason. Well, none of that worked. Listen. We, the jury, find the defendant, Diane Michelle Zamora, guilty of the offense of capital murder as alleged in the indictment. Signed, Monty Winsett. It's not just Zamora, the mastermind of the murder. What about David Graham, who follows along like a little sheep, murdering a 16-year-old girl? May they rot in hell. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress. Lisa's Sapira Hybrid has been named Wirecutter's Best Hybrid Mattress five years running. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash Nancy for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash Nancy. Thanks, Lisa Mattress, for being our partner.